podcast this week. Do we expect Daniel Craig to die? No, we expect him to talk. Yes, we're the only outlet in the world that has an exclusive interview with the outgoing 007. Don't look at any other outlets. There are no other interviews with Daniel Craig this week. Just don't look anywhere else. Just here. As he says farewell to James Bond with no time to die. Plus, we have a good old natter with his evil counterpart, old Freddie Mercury himself, Rami Malek. All that and more on the movie podcast that is always keeping the British end up. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, in case you can't already tell, for the second week in a row, we're doing this remotely. We returned to the studio for one week. (laughs) One week. It was enough. (laughs) We thought, nope, we're not doing that again. Um, No, we're doing this remotely. Um, Why are we doing it remotely this week? Well, because James Dyer... You can hear him already, chuckling away, chuckle, <laughs> chuckle coughing, coughing himself into an early grave there. Uh, James and myself, and Nick DeSemlian for that matter, have all come down with something quite, quite horrible. The details of which I shall never fully divulge. Uh, it is absolutely not a sex thing, by the way, you filthy-minded devils. And so uh, Jimbo and I have sealed ourselves away from the world hermetically, yeah. so a bit like Howard Hughes far away from other people and perhaps crucially at least in my case close to a toilet that i know is free (laughs) and available so i don't have to bang frantically on the door telling ken from accounts to fucking get a move on so so that's where we are uh we are in our individual flats now uh but we're through the worst, aren't we, Jimbo? We're through the worst. We are. And we should point out that all of this, one way or another, whether this is poison, whether this is viral, <laughs> whether it is a sort of Novichok attack from the Russian government, which is entirely possible. Entirely we possible. We really think we can trace this back to your birthday celebrations, don't we? I don't we're know. Gonna, we're I not going to name and yeah. shame where we went. But no. I'm just saying, I'm not saying where we went. I'm saying we all went out together. Yes. Didn't we? For your birthday. We all went out together. We we, we congregated. <laughs> we ended up in the sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up in the sex dungeon in Soho. Um, no, we, we, we shared some space and perhaps some germs and ate some food, which may or may not have been poisoned. I don't think it was and... the food. I don't think it was the food. <laughs> uh, either way, since your ill-fated birthday, we have all just been dead. Yes. So, yes. But we've all, we've all presented with slightly different symptoms. Uh, we We've, we've all and it's it's hit us at different times and hit us in different ways and hit us sometimes worse and sometimes better and you know so it's it's been a, it's been a very very strange week but uh, what it has meant is that we haven't as yet been able to see no time to die and also there's been no time for no time to die there's been no time for no time to die because we've been too busy dying uh, and also Ali Plum of course formerly of this parish and now the BBC Radio BBC Radio ones I think that's still a, a jingle they have for the kids and um, that he is uh, he's he's also come down with something so I think that this is a concerted attempt by the the film critics branch of Spectre uh, the yeah. political wing the, the, the the <laughs> critical wing of Spectre to stop us from seeing No Time to Die. So I think that's I think that's exactly what that's what it is. And uh, so as things stand, because we don't know what's happened to us, we don't know what we've come down with. Uh, Jimbo and I have both taken COVID tests, which is another reason yes. why we're we're isolating at the moment. Haven't had the Just results yet, though. Haven't had the results yet, which is another reason why we we may or may not have seen Bond by the time we get round to doing the reviews section. Yeah. Which to pull back the curtain. 
fully a little bit more will be done on a completely different day to the main <laughs> bit we're doing right now. It's all very hectic this week, I tell you. Uh, of course, presuming, of course, that Jimbo and myself are alive by then. If we're not alive by then, then it will fall to our third colleague of such lethal cunning this week to to hold the fort and to step over our corpses and step up to the microphone and review the hell out of Bond. It is, of course, the one, the only, Beth Webb. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've really enjoyed listening to the product of your lungs coming up, both of you, this morning. <laughs> Has been hey. really, really poetic. He's a cougher. I'm a pooper. Uh, that's good to straight. <laughs> yeah. You're better off in my company. I've got to be honest with you. Um, you want to be but- upwind of me. That's <laughs> <laughs> But this is why we have you here, Beth, because because we're all ill and because we're being struck down by, you know, Spectre forces. Helen has been whisked away <laughs> and hidden in a bunker somewhere so that someone from the Empire podcast will go on after our yeah. demise. Well, this makes me feel really special. We're all dying. <laughs> Helen's on holiday. Oh, I guess we'll bring in the Swindon one. Yeah, you're the stunt, Helen. <laughs> Beth, how can I say this? We, you're fantastic. We love you, but you're expendable. <laughs> Says the man who was dying. Uh. Yeah. But this, this also, we haven't thought this through at all because if we all go down now, sort of, this is this, so Steady. this, all three of us, if someone, if the three of us die of, you know, whatever explosions, <laughs> like turbo <laughs> agent or whatever we've been infected yeah. with, that's two thirds of the Empire podcast down and now two thirds of the Pilot TV podcast <laughs> down. So Helen then becomes the only person on Empire and Boyd is the only person on Pilot and that's it. So what you're saying is that they are the chief suspects. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. This is Helen and Boyd together plotting our demise. Helen did leave the country immediately after we got sick. <laughs> and Boyd does live in a supervillain lair somewhere in central London where he just has many screens of TV on at all times. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not saying I saw this coming. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there watching this at the moment, stroking his um, cat. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, that's that's what it's called. <laughs> that's, um, what he, that's what he Come on, come on, anyway, guys. Come anyway, on. anyway, Lowering it's too early in the morning for Lowering this. Lowering your tone. Uh, but yes, so Helen is off at the moment. Uh, she is in a place called, and I, I'm not kidding, Lusty Bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is off on an island at the moment in a place in Northern Ireland called uh, Lusty Bag. And uh, she uh, told me that she's looking forward to getting a massage. And uh, that's great because <laughs> wow. I, I like a story with a happy ending. So... <laughs> So that's, that's, it's good to know. That. It's good to know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so hello, because there's only three of us this week, and because two of us are dying, uh, <laughs> there is no, there is no three fact structure this week. I swear to God, I'm drinking water right now, which is you know <laughs> that is a sign of the apocalypse. Honestly, it's not yeah. it's actual water. I, I've drunk more water this week than I think I have in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my usual delivery system of of H two O is in a nice glass of Coke Zero, a cold, refreshing glass of Coke Zero. Anyway, we're not doing the three fact structure this week uh, we're going to go straight well <laughs> kind of straight we're going to take a slip road off the off the m62 and then we're going to drive around for a bit and we're going to get to this week's listener question which came from a number of you a couple of weeks ago when, when i revealed that we were going to be back in the studio recording the podcast <laughs> sorry and um a number of you asked for our favorite movies or favorite scenes in recording studios or DJ booths in the movies. So a rich and fertile subject, I think. Who wants to have first go at the pinata of chat? A pinchata, if you will. Uh, okay, I will go for this one. There, there are a number of things, a number of obvious ones, and I'm not going to just list them off because otherwise I'll steal all of your particular ones. I'm going to just select well, one. I've got nothing, by the way. So just <laughs> fair enough. Well, why don't I just list some? Uh, which would be 
from the year 1990, the one, the only pump up the volume. Do you know this one? Pump Alan up Moore's the film? volume. Mm-hmm. That's the one, Christian Slater. I love this. And I think it's one of these ones where uh, I discovered this. I used to do a thing where when I got Sky as a teenager, I felt incredibly privileged. I felt I felt then like we all feel now, having all these streaming services. I was My mum bought me Sky, I think, because I did well in an exam or something like that. And just the volume of TV, I went from like f- like four channels to all the channels. <laughs> and I was so excited by it. I used to get the little TV guide, Sky TV guide, and I'd go through it at the beginning of the month with a highlighter and highlight all the films I was going to watch that month. <laughs> all the films. And like everything from sort of random Chuck Norris shit, loads of straight-to-video horror stuff, weird erotica, like a lot of strange <laughs> stuff. Anyway, one of the things I discovered then was Pump Up the Volume. Which became, and I recorded it, as I was wont to do, and it became one of the most watched VHS tapes I had. I became slightly obsessed with this film. There's just something about this idea, this sort of lonely, sort of outcast guy at school who becomes Hard Harry, this kind of shock jock character, sort of outing what's going on at his school in his small town. And there's a bit at the end where he's like broadcasting on the run from the back of a truck and they're trying to locate the signal. So much going on. (laughs) Samantha Mathis, who kind of tracks him down and turns up at his house uh, because he'd got this hand radio to talk to his friends back east when he sort of moved away and he used it to set up this this pirate radio station but it's a really really good film i don't know how well seen it is it's definitely become a cult hit i think but i don't know how many people have actually seen it but if you haven't seen pump up the volume no, do it's, yeah it's very much a cult yeah yeah I it's, 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 it. it's great it sounds amazing oh, really? mm. yeah it does it all from his bedroom and i gotta be honest the it, it, I, I i call bullshit on the sound quality he gets from the acoustics <laughs> of that room you know as a podcast i'm like no fuck that no 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 there's far too open space on that blank wall you'd get reflective sound bouncing mm. what are you talking about yeah this is happening an awful lot with podcasters and movies these days because it's becoming more fashionable to depict podcasters as as heroes, um, as, as people as people that you should aspire to be. Uh, I think uh, so. There are podcasters in Halloween, the most recent Halloween. There, there's a podcaster in Godzilla versus Kong, and they're always recording on the fly on equipment that you know just wouldn't get the sound quality that we later hear in the film, and it always takes me out of the movie. Yeah. Really took me out of the movie of Godzilla versus Kong. You know, that movie where a giant ape was fighting a giant lizard in uh. in, in, a, in a big old city and smashing into buildings. I was fine with that. I was okay with that. I was not okay with a man uh, recording into his phone and then getting pristine sound quality on his podcast. Um, other other podcasters in Halloween Heroes, I don't remember them being especially. Oh no, they're like, twats. Yeah, I was gonna say like, they're twats, but I'm I'm putting them up against Michael Myers in this case. Yeah, it's you know? true. So yeah, it's yeah. all relative. Everyone's but a hero. Yeah. Um, a few for me, obviously. Um, Mark in D minor from Spinal Tap, which is just <laughs> one of my. Uh, I mean, you could you could I I can't pick out a favorite joke from that film, but that is obviously gets right to the crux of of what makes Spinal Tap so amazing. So the the combination of Mozart and Bach, Mark <laughs> in D minor. In all sincerity, that was that was that was a wonderful scene. A star is born. We can't uh get into recording studios without thinking of Ali. I won't sing the song, but when she's doing her kind of no, sing, sing the song. <laughs> sing the song. She's like Absolutely sing the song. Sing the song. Sing the song. Sing the song. Which is now you've got me you've got me in a very giggly corner now for this. Like, <laughs> oh, I'd love to live in giggly corner. <laughs> Come to the wonderful land of lusty, giggly corner. Lusty bag. Lusty giggly bag. It is. <laughs> giggly corner where happy endings come to live. <laughs> Which is sort of doing a, a kind of riffy vibey. Um now I'm not gonna sing it. I keep 
getting to the end is it, and coming is this back the recent go, star is born this is the recent star is born and it's ali okay. and bradley cooper's just kind of vibing next to her and she's having a great time and her horrible horrible manager is uh being skeezy and slimy in the corner what else is there oh beginning of nashville classic Two recording mm-hmm. studios. Uh, and then I have cheated uh, and gone Uh-oh. for a radio studio uh, and a radio interview for... Have you seen Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping? Uh, have I seen it? <laughs> uh, I wrote and directed have you seen it. The, have you seen the popular film? Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. Sadly, uh, it was an unpopular film, which mm-hmm. is uh, why it's never been quite given its due. And it's not as good as Hot Rod. I will say that. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna die on that hill. Uh, <laughs> but I do love that film. But, yes. Yeah, this, but which, which bit are you talking this about? This is our pump up the, pump up the volume. Uh, this is when Andy Sandberg is talking about the catchphrase verse. And he's being interviewed about the... So he's his character, Connor, he's asked to collaborate with um, an artist called Claudia, who's a cameo from Amistad. Stone, who is who is amazing in this film in the like few scenes that she has and for this collaboration he comes in and occasionally rappers sort of have a catchphrase that they work into there and he drops like 30 catchphrases in the space of this like 30 second collaboration on the film and he's he's talking about this in the radio studio it's a tenuous link just for me to be able to talk about these catchphrases which include uh, patrick stewart money sorry dad hats Vespa music or something. So it's just going through all these catchphrases that he... Uh, Vespa music, the lesser known Bond girl. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, so it's so a tenuous link to be able to talk about that scene, to mm. be honest. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, isn't there... A, a, doesn't Marcus Brigstock play a DJ in a scene in Love Actually, Jimbo? You love that movie with uh, with Bill Nighy. Yeah, isn't, isn't that a funny scene in that godforsaken film? It is a funny scene. Mm. No, it's not a godforsaken film. It is an excellent film. Obviously, Richard Curtis did The Boat, The Rock. That kind of whole film is, is studio related. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yes, the the Bill Nye scene from Love Actually is a good one. Although mm. it doesn't compare to, and I won't even say it's not even the film, but the best thing I think that's ever happened in a recording booth is the trailer for Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian. Uh, from the early noughties. Remember this one? Yes. A, oh, I like it in here. Yes, fantastic. A robot renegade cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very, very entertaining. The film, less so, but the trailer was fantastic. Trailer was very, very good. Uh, trailer demonstrably better than the film. Uh, this is such a, a broad topic. Uh, there are so many examples. If you want to go just straight up DJs, you know, how can we not mention good morning? Um, What's it? the name of the, the country uh, no good morning vietnam obviously robin williams in good morning vietnam uh we, also know, mrs doubtfire yes. when he's doing the cartoon voicing that's cartoon a lovely voices, that's yes, lovely yes, yes. Mm. other djs that i really like there's uh eric bogosian in talk radio which he always also wrote the oliver stone movie that's a really good film samuel jackson Samuel Samuel Jackson. Mr. I'm so sick Samuel of I've that. Samuel Jackson. Um, well, the L. I always capitalize the L at the end of Samuel, so I yeah. I, I include the L, but at the end of Samuel. So Samuel dot Jackson. Samuel dot Jackson. <laughs> oh, he's gone. <laughs> We've lost him. <laughs> you know that famous that famous Oscar nominated actor and icon Samuel dot Jackson. <laughs> what the hell? Jesus. What have you done to be illness? Oh, Jesus. Anyway, so he plays, he's in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And he plays a fantastic DJ who's kind of like the Greek chorus narrator ish, not really narrator, but he's kind of like a Greek chorus type character who, who who runs all the way through the film. And he's the magnificent name of Mr. Senior Love Daddy. 
which is actually weirdly how James introduced himself to me when we first met. <laughs> All those many moons ago. Um, before the dark times. Before the, <laughs> before empire. the empire. Sadly, <laughs> not before the empire. Uh, but uh, who else? Wolfman Jack in George Lucas's American Group. Which is how you introduced yourself to me. So that's... that's <laughs> Uh, Clint Eastwood's a DJ and play Misty for me. I'm trying to think of broadcasters, people who are broadcasting. Perhaps well, Howard Stern in private parts. DJ. Yes, I know Who's Howard Stern is. Well, <laughs> funnily enough, he played Howard Stern. What? Um, yeah, I know, crazy, isn't it? But uh, I found that very funny when I first saw it, and less so subsequently. But uh, I did, I did like it in the cinema. When it yes, uh, Airheads. Do you, anyone remember yes. the Adam yes. Sandler and Brenton Fraser Brent comedy? Fraser. Yeah. yeah. Can I recommend Lake Bell's film In a World? You can. Um, which was a fantastic little. Was that her directorial debut? I don't, I don't know. I don't care. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Beth has come armed with facts this week. <laughs> was it her directorial? But I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Okay, it was amazing. We may, we may be talking to Lake Bell on the podcast soon. You could do the interview uh, because uh, it, it sounds like um, you you would be fully prepped. So, <laughs> so so Lake in in a world which may or may not be your directorial debut. Honestly, I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were with the, the popular actor Samuel Dot Jackson. So, <laughs> <laughs> Gloves are off, Chris. Gloves are off. Oh, how much would you pay me if next time I interview him to introduce him as Samuel <laughs> Dot Jackson? I, I, I feel like the reaction would be worth every single fucking penny of like yeah. I might get a Kickstarter in place because How, how long do you think I'd live? Um not not an incredibly but what a way to go. Like what a way yeah. to go. Like the, the, the kind of talk back and then like the consequent death, which to be honest would be like a mercy killing at this stage anyway, because you're yeah. completely ailing. Yes, I deserve um, to die and I hope I burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, In a World is yes. a great film. Watching it in In a World, it's about a, a woman who's a voiceover artist and has yes. the most magnificent voice, and it's just like Belle being absolutely incredible. So yeah, that's a that's a sterling entry for me. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in Pontypool. Anyone ever seen that film, Pontypool? Isn't that so, what Simon Sam is saying? I was literally just gonna say that. <laughs> Pontypandy. <laughs> Norman Price. <laughs> 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 Fireman Sam is set in Giggly Corner. We all Who know needs that. Sky? Who needs a thousand channels when That's you've it. got Fireman Sam on? We've got Fireman Sam. BBC Two. What's the Fireman Sam theme tune? We all know the Bob the Builder theme tune. Bob the Builder can. No, he? it's um, his engine's bright and clean. Fireman Sam, you just can't ignore. Sam is the hero next door. Sing the song. Sing the song. <laughs> Sing the song. <laughs> Listeners, if you ever wondered what it would be like to hear Beth sing the, sing the theme tune to Fireman Sam, you weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, I mean, how wow. many how many listeners were wondering if they would ever one day hear Beth <laughs> sing the song from she Fireman Sam? She has a following. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but it's mad that I remember that, isn't it? Like, couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast like yesterday, but I can tell you that Fireman Sam was set in Pontypandy, uh, Pontypandy. a fictional town I was. Yeah, Fireman Sam. And, was he Welsh uh, then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're Ponty all Welsh. Pandy. It's in Ponty Pandy. Ponty Pandy. from uh, Bella Lasagna, who was Italian, apparently. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Bella Sorry. Lasagna. It was a different time. It was a different time It was a different time. Then. All voiced by the same person. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, Bella Lasagna. Yeah. yeah. 
does she is she friends with uh, Gio Campari, the, uh, the the go compare tenor? Yeah, she's going to be in the Mario film alongside Charlie Day, Chris Pratt, and Anya Joy. Blimey, O'Reilly! Um, so Pontypool is a hard edged horror <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> no, it's a it's a really cool it's a really cool zombie film where um, people are turned into zombies by essentially language. So language turns people into zombies and Steve McHattie is a DJ who is in a radio station and, you know, it's one of the last bastions of, uh, you know, on the outside as the world is going to shit. And the word Pontypool uh, is is not Pontypandy, that'd be amazing, uh, but Pontypool <laughs> is very, very important and about that I will say no more, but he's a, he's a kind of grizzled, hard-talking, tough DJ type person. Um, it's a very interesting twist on, on a zombie film. So I would say that one. I cannot get through this without talking about Stevie Wayne, played by Adrian Barbo in John Carpenter's The Fog, who perhaps has the greatest voice of any DJ in movie history. Uh, and she, of course, is out there on her big lighthouse radio station, uh, which is a real lighthouse. I'm not sure it's a real radio station out there somewhere in California. And, uh, and she's the one who sees the fog coming in, the fog rolling in, and she begins to warn people. If you haven't seen The Fog, it's a great film. Go and see The Fog. Um, in terms of broadcasting and radio recording stations, very, very quickly, uh, I've got to say things like, you know, just anything where you have a young up-and-coming band, so something like That Thing You Do, where they're cutting mm. That Thing You Do, or um, The Soggy Bottom Boys. Yes! <laughs> yes, of course! Yes. Very, very good. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? <gasps> you know, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Inside Lewin Davis, Outer... Space. Oh yes, what a recording <laughs> What a sesh <laughs> Laying down the track, really good stuff And even though I really don't like the film I did like the bit in Bohemian Rhapsody Where they recorded Bohemian Rhapsody mm. That was quite fun mm. I like the like that? Compton recording stream Yes uh, scenes as well. yeah. Those are great. Yes. So anything like that Where you have like someone Grizzled at a recording desk you know with all the buttons and all the gadgets and all the you know the the doohickeys and then you have the band or the 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 singer uh next door so rocket man does a really good one rocket isn't rocket man where um uh they're singing don't go breaking my heart and then richard madden turns up and basically takes elton into the the broom cupboard and gives him a good scene too so that's that's a, a scene and of course um annette starts off in a recording studio with one of my oh, one of the, one of my favorite yeah. scenes of the year, where they they sing so maybe start yes. and it's actual actual sparks uh, singing there. There's listen. There's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons. But the one I'm going to end with because it's me is the Shawshank Redemption, where Andy Dufresne <laughs> becomes a DJ just for a few minutes and broadcasts a bit of opera to the rest of the prison, and quite frankly, fails as a DJ doesn't give him any traffic updates, doesn't tell him anything about the weather, and doesn't even tell him the name of the fucking song. <laughs> no wonder he was taken off the air, quite frankly. <laughs> Anywho, as ever, I'm sure you're shouting lots of examples that we haven't even mentioned at your podcast device of choice. So slide into my Twitter feed as well. Slide into our Twitter feeds and tell us where we went wrong. Tell us the things we didn't mention. And, uh, you know, and uh, we'll just fess up and go, yep, that's a good example. <laughs> uh, and if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, then you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. Uh, you can slide into my DMs or reply to any of my tweets or wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. I think we're good for questions for the next couple of weeks, but hey, I shouldn't stop you from giving it a good old-fashioned college try anyway. 
Time now for our first guest this week, and it is a No Time to Die double deal this week. It is a No Time to Die jamboree of chat, or a chatboree, if you will. I don't know what's happened to me this week. I've turned it full Alan Partridge. Um, Well, there's one. Alan Partridge in Alpha Papa. The entire movie is pretty much set inside a radio station. Uh, I don't know how I missed that one. Anyway... Uh, no Time to Die is finally coming out. I know, I can't believe it. And because I haven't seen it, I won't believe it. Uh, but <laughs> it is it is finally coming out in cinemas a full, what is it, a year and a half after it was meant to come out Decades. initially? Yeah, pretty sure it was March 2020. Uh, it is now, what is it, October? By the time you listen to this, October 2021. And finally, the 25th James Bond movie is coming out. It's the fifth and final movie to star Daniel Craig as James Bond. And in it, he will go up against Lucifer Safin, great name, who is a bad guy played by the Oscar winner, Rami Malek. And uh, I had a good old chat with Rami last week on Zoom. We got into talking about bad guys' motivations and whether Freddie Mercury would have made a good Bond villain and a great deal Besides, do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of No Time to Die, Mr. Rami Malik. How the devil are you? I'm great, Chris. Thrilling to be here with you guys. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, we last spoke uh, in a hotel room in New York in December 2019. And for some reason, there's been a delay to the movie since I'm not entirely sure what's happened exactly. But what's a, what's a, the, the delay been like for you? Because you must have been... A, itching to get to, for people to see this thing, but also just itching to maybe move on with things as well? Yeah. Well, honestly, for I ne- it never bothered me. And, and my friends and family would ask, you know, it must be such a disappointment. And I said, what's the disappointment? Like, I mean, we have a situation going on in the world that's quite difficult for everybody. So let's put movies aside and... Uh, you know, look after one another and, and the time will come. And I just always appreciated the resolve that Barbara and Michael had for our producers for just taking a moment and saying, yeah, you know what? We're not going to throw this on a streamer. We're not going to sell this. This is our baby. And it demands to be seen in a cinema. And so after two years, that's exactly what we're getting right now. So I always looked at it from that point of view and said, when the time is right, the time is right. And the time is now. Yeah, it feels that way. I, I was watching another movie in a, in a cinema yesterday and the trailer came on for No Time to Die. And there's a line that Bond has where he says, if we don't do this now, there'll be nothing left to save. And without being melodramatic, the, the cinema industry, the exhibition industry has had a really tough time. And it's almost felt in a way that this film has been, is, is going to be the savior. It's going to be the film that will put people's bums back on seats, finally. Yeah, yeah, I was. I thought the exact same thing once when I heard that that, that phrase in in the uh, trailer. So uh, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I hope I hope you're right about the final outcome. One thing we know is that people want to see this movie. It is you know tethered to our cinematic fabric all over the world. I mean, this is something that is you know it's just culturally identifiable by anyone in the world. And, I, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who uh, isn't connected to a Bond film in some way through a family member or, or uh, some sort of fashion. Mm. So I know people will be in the cinema. I'm so excited for them to see this one because 
it's it, I, you could hear this. It might sound cliche, but it's like nothing you've ever seen from a Bond film. <laughs> of course, you, you get the action. You get Daniel doing uh, all, all the prolific things he's done. And, you know, the, the emotionality that he's brought to it is uh, is quite moving as well. And then you have, you know, this this cast is just pretty remarkable across the board. But I remember stepping on, onto the sets of Pinewood and seeing what they had created uh, that were reminiscent of the Ken Adams sets, or early Bond films. And, uh, the, you know, between the costume cinematography and the, and the makeup, you have people working at the top of their game to deliver, uh, hopefully, what's, what's one of the best Bond films we've seen in a while. And uh, so we can expect Daniel to do James Bondy things as James Bond. What can we expect from from you? I'm very excited to see what you're going to do with a Bond villain, for for want of a better phrase. Well, I don't know what to. You know, there is this this line that you hear in Bond films quite a bit. It's well, well, Mr. Bond, you and I are a lot alike, and <laughs> uh, and what I find very interesting is there's a semblance of that you can hear in the trailer as well. It says. Uh, what does Safin say to Bond? He he says, "Oh, I could be speaking to my own reflection," mm-hmm. and uh, I just find that type of mentality so interesting. That you know, these guys both uh, think they're trying to save the world. They just go about it in, in two extraordinarily different ways. And what I find interesting about this villain is. You know, I thought, okay, I'm going to play the villain. I'll find a way to really sympathize and empathize with this guy and, you know, make the audience um, fall in love with him, perhaps, because, uh, you know, they can they can empathize with his pain. But there's something uh, so dark and evil about him and sinister that uh, I had to almost just remove myself from and say, this is not part of my DNA, thankfully, Uh and I can just transform into somebody who I don't have to pull anything from uh, and just create that is exciting to bring to Daniel and and 007, because when you don't have much care in the world, uh, you're not quite worried about what happens to you and, and, you know, throwing any risks out the window. That's something that's difficult to argue with or fight against. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and can I just say as well, how refreshing it is to hear an actor say that because I have heard what you were going to say an awful lot over the years where you have an actor who plays a quote unquote bad guy and they say, well, of course, you know, he doesn't think of himself as the bad guy or he doesn't think of himself as a villain. And I really, I really found something to like about this guy, but I, I like the Safin is so toxic that, <laughs> that even you had to step back a little bit from him. It was actually a moment that was, I mean, I did have to go to Barbara and Carrie and say, I don't know if I can do that. And uh, it, it did not make the movie, thankfully. <laughs> but, uh, he, yeah, there were, mo- there were aspects of the film you know, that took us to that level where uh, you really have to stop and say, what was the uh, cultural impact of what this might say? <laughs> Well, uh, I was already intrigued. Now I'm even even more so. Uh, I, I, where did you start? Where did you start with this character? With the character, uh, well, as as you can see, there's some facial disfigurement that he has, uh, and 
you had to start with that essentially because that's that's uh wow it's it's difficult to not to get in, into the, the, the storyline and plot but yeah i started there and and i wanted to create uh you know sort of sort of enigmatic ambiguity to him where you couldn't quite tell where he was from uh you know you you could probably assess what he wanted but you didn't quite always know why so there's there's something you just always can't quite put your finger on with Safin that I liked. Um, you know, he's you he, he can't necessarily put him into a box of a certain type of villain. So I, I just wanted to always keep people on, on their toes and keep him on his toes as well. But there's yeah, there's something extremely unusual about him, and I can't I can't put my finger on it yet. There obviously are scenes you will have with with Daniel. Does your approach to the character change once Bond is there? Does that change things? Does it change the dynamic? Does it change the way you approach playing him? Well, you know, there were moments where I would talk to Daniel and and Barbara and Carrie and and think, yeah, I, I did look at part of the script and say, hey, that you know, given what I want to do with this character and given that it's it's Daniel's last film. I think we can elevate this scene between us and, you know, possibly you know, think about the philosophy here as if we were two guys just sitting down at a pub, having a beer, having a glass of wine and and discussing philosophy and th- saying, you know, well, this is this is the way I look at the world. How do you look at the world? And so we batted ideas back and forth with Carrie, with Barbara. Uh, you know, eventually with with Phoebe as well. She wasn't present on the day, so she had to get context from me. She's, she got a bunch of notes at the end of the night and I talked to her on the phone. She goes, what the hell happened over there today? <laughs> uh, you know, and it was more about, you know, let's throw out a few petty one, one-liners here and, you know, get rid of them rather than, you know, um, you know utilizing them too often in this scene. And, and really have a, you know, a proper conversation, you know, where, where the, you know, life and death is on the line, not only, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. So it, it feels to me a little bit like there's a, a you know, immediately called to mind that amazing scene between Pacino and De Niro in Heat. So it's, it's, it's almost a Bondian version of that in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good reference, <laughs> I suppose. Sure. Love that scene. <laughs> just two guys, just a couple of regular fellas. Just one of them happens to be fellas having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just one of them happens to be James Bond, and one of them happens to, happens to be trying to do something to the world. Yes, um, I love science. that. I love that it's so vague. Do something to the world. That's what that's what's great about this f- film in particular. No one's seen. Few of us have seen it, uh-huh. right? And uh, you know, we've held this secret for almost two years now. I, I think we shot this three years ago. So it's it, it's you know. I don't, I don't know of any other film where that's, that's happened quite the same way and people have been able to not you know, spill anything over, over that much time. And to the, I, th- I think it was Barbara who set the tone because my script, when I arrived in London to shoot, was hand-delivered to my hotel by Barbara Broccoli. <laughs> True story. Well, that's the that's the, the red carpet treatment. That's the gold star treatment. That's you know. Do you, or do you think she does that for everybody in the cast? I don't know if that's the gold star treatment so much as it is. Keep your mouth shut. You're not getting this from a PA. You're getting this from me. 
And not many people will. <laughs> and so did she call in periodically during the lockdown to, to say, Rami, are you are you keeping our our little secrets? Are you are you are you running your mouth off to your friends? Do you know she uh, has enough uh, uh, tact and integrity to not do something like that? She she is the essence of class. I mean, that lady is truly one of the greatest producers you could ask to work with. You feel so nurtured in her hands. And, you know, I could see her relationship with Daniel and Carrie and the rest of the cast. Uh she knows how delicately to handle things and, and steps in when she needs to step in. But, you know, she's always uh, available to, to give everyone everything they need to make it the best possible outcome for all of us. So, uh, you know, I think once you recognize that from her, you're just never going to let her down. And uh, that's the tone she sets. So you want to follow in footsteps. And there must be she must be a great resource as well, uh, both her and Michael G. Wilson, who, you know, between the two of them have been on so many Bond films over the years. Michael co-wrote a number of Bond films, of course. Uh, so there's nothing they don't know about this series. There's nothing they don't know about this character. So if you have any questions at all, you could just go to Barbara or Michael, ask them and they'll they'll help you out. One hundred percent. And, you know, it's difficult because. You know, you never want to overstep your relationship with your director, but in this experience, it's an entirely different environment. I mean, these are, you know, the patrons and custodians of a franchise like no other, one that is just, you know, tethered to our, our cultural fabric. So there was moment, a moment after the first scene I did where I, I did look at her uh, after a few takes and you know, she gave me the nod of approval because, you know, no one knew what I was going to do on, on take one. And uh, you can be quite uh, you know, nervous walking in, into this world with uh, this much history. And I think it, it'd be you don't you don't want to upset Barbara or Michael because of their relationship to to this film and this franchise. So, you know, just getting a little bit of a head nod from her was a pretty glorious feeling, I must say. That's amazing. So did you know what you were going to do in take one? Or how much of it is spontaneous and in the moment and how much of it is absolutely meticulously pre-planned? I think because, you know, Safin is such a meticulous character, I wanted to be very meticulous about what I was going to do. Hmm. Um, so I had a plan, you know, I had an arc, uh, of course. You know, I love to come in as prepared as I can uh, with these roles and especially when you're, you know, you're facing off against a guy who has been in this franchise for, uh, you know, what is it? Four or five? Let's see. Skyfall, uh, Casino Royale, Spectre, yeah. Quantum of Solace. Um, five. Yeah. Yeah. Five. So he knows what he's doing inside and out. So I, there's no way I can come in here and just uh, walk in willy nilly. Well, you know, let's try this on the day. That's not working here. But but you do have to have the freedom to respond to whatever might be thrown your way. And and as I've got older, I've I've really learned not to get so stuck in my ways because I used to see have ideas for roles and come in and just want to uh, exact the those moments as i had prepared them in my bedroom or living room or whatever it was and you know actually actually playing mercury gave me a bit more freedom to say 
You never know what's going to happen. This guy is so unpredictable and spontaneous, and that's what makes him uh, so fascinating. So I guess the only thing I would say I carried over is, is a bit of that unpredictability always. Absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, I think looking back, the likes of, of, of uh, Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, they would have made great Bond villains, and in some cases, maybe even interesting Bonds. Yeah. I wonder why, why they never thought about Bowie as, as a Bond villain. That's a great idea. I feel maybe, maybe I'll ask Barbara. You know, when I when I speak to her next, uh, yeah. because you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe maybe she asked at some point. Maybe she asked maybe Sting. Yeah. What musician would you like to see as a Bond villain? I mean, I, I, yeah, it's it's got to be Bowie for me. Or um, I'm I'm a I'm a big REM fan. So Michael Stipe is so elusive as a character that I like to take his almost weirdly specific non-energy and put him up against Bond, if you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I was, as you said that, I thought it would be such a great idea. And I would like to think that there's a little bit of stipe in Safin. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Cap. Listen, I, may be, I may be helping you out a little bit with that. Michael Stipe? In Safin, yes, please. Thank you very yes. much. I'll ha- I'll take yeah. two tickets, please. Um, and, uh, you mentioned there, Freddie Mercury, and I I, I want to ask about uh, the Oscar and what that meant to you in terms of tackling this role and also tackling something like you know the little things as well, where you've got you know Denzel and, and Jared Leto. Did it give you? I don't know whether you needed a confidence boost necessarily, but it did it give you a, an injection of confidence in your in your career and your choices and what you were doing as an actor you know when i was when i was younger i i had this audition f- uh for tom hanks to be in this miniseries called the pacific and mm-hmm. uh, you know i w- was acting in front of him and and spielberg and I, I could feel in that moment i said if you can't do this right now you're just never going to be able to do this and i just steeled myself and when i walked out of that door i felt something in me that uh, was heightened and elevated and, you know, a bit a stronger self-confidence that I've had. And so in moments on, in front of a camera or oddly on stage, so there's something that I, I dig deep and find that uh, lifts my character. I sometimes wonder, you know, why I can't always uh, uh, elicit that in life so much, but I'm just glad it happens in those moments. So, you know, that happened with, with Freddie at, at times when you just marshal some form of leadership and, and gravitas. Uh, so I, I would like to think that having having the Oscar uh, enhanced that. But um, I, I also would like to say that there's something that was always in me that allowed me to just excel in those moments of sheer fear and chaos. And I really do thrive in chaos. But uh, if if I hadn't played Freddie, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to walk in on, on day one with Daniel and, uh, you know, give it to him straight like that. <laughs> and, and a funny story about the Oscar, we, we get asked a lot, you know, where do you keep it? And yeah. I said, to Denzel, you know, I, I never have an answer for this. I, I don't, still don't know where to put it. And I go, where do you put it, Denzel? And he goes, next to the other one. <laughs> Only Denzel could get away with that, right? Precisely, precisely. Uh, a wonderful note in which to end. Rami, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, absolute pleasure, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care.
Okay, so that was Rami Malek, and we will be talking to Daniel Craig later in the show and exclusively, exclusively to this outlet. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig has not appeared anywhere else this week. I mean, he's not been ubiquitous, but he's trying to the imagination. Anyway, so, hey, Daniel Craig, woohoo, James Bond podcast, Yeah. All very, very exciting stuff indeed. And we'll be reviewing No Time to Die as well. But first, let's talk about this week's movie news. What's been happening? Shall we talk? Beth, you mentioned it earlier on. You alluded to it when we were talking about Bella Lasagna, <laughs> uh, who is a character I still cannot believe is, is a real thing. And you mentioned that uh, you mentioned the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is uh, which has been confirmed slash threatened for next year. And the casting for that was revealed last week after we went to air, going to edit whatever the hell it is you do with the podcasts. And um, it was it was interesting. <laughs> I, I I think is is fair to say it it's it, it got the internet up in arms about certain things because amongst the casting, chief amongst the casting, was the news that Mario himself is going to be voiced by Chris Pratt. Yeah, And because Twitter doesn't like Chris Pratt, this was a bad thing, apparently. Why is this a bad thing? It's probably a bad thing for Chris Pratt. Why is that? Because it's a Mario movie, which, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, as someone who has nothing but affection for Nintendo. Nobody needs to see. I'm just going to put it out there. It should be filed away with Sonic and indeed Sonic 2 and all of those things that we don't need to watch. <laughs> although, although I, when someone said that we should get in <laughs> either David Desmalchin or Adam Driver as Waluigi, I was like, hmm, would watch, that would actually would watch. watch. Yeah, I think if we kicked out this comedy cast and, and got in a real lineup of thespes to do this, a, a very serious actors, capital S, capital A, I'd be really for it. First yeah. of all, we've got a perfect Mario Brothers film. I don't know why we're doing an animated film. Um... <laughs> I love as well that um, John John Leguizamo has come out and said that he doesn't like this casting. And I'm like, well, well, sir, you are most qualified to make this choice, having been in the perfect Mario Brothers film. I mean, this is. Um, <laughs> have you seen that film, I mean, it's it's kind of famously one of the worst movies ever made. I know. But, hey, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna join in by saying, uh, do you know why Mario has a moustache? Oh no. Because obviously dodgy eight bit graphics and whatnot, because you couldn't really make out the features because the graphics were so low, low resolution yeah. that the moustache made it clearer that he had a face. Oh my god! <laughs> so that's the reason he has a moustache because it just it gave sort of like features to like the blob that was his face. So you could say, "Oh, that's a face. He has a face. Great." Wow, he was a pioneer, the original Movember. Yes. Yeah. As was his original name. So Chris Pratt's going to voice Mario in this. Now Mario, um, I, I I read this on the internet a few um, like a year or so ago. So I'm not sure how true this is, and I've got no intention of looking it up. I'm, I'm applying the same scrutiny and uh, work ethic to this as Beth did researching Lake Bell's career uh, <laughs> earlier on. But Charles Martinet is the actor who voices and has voiced Mario, I believe, since the off, you know. Mm. It's a me, a Mario, and all that sort of stuff. You know, very, very culturally sensitive <laughs> depiction <laughs> of Italian people, right up there with Bella Lasagna and Bessa. And my understanding is that he went into the audition and they kind of went, oh, it's just an Italian guy. Uh, you know, he's just do an Italian guy. And so he <laughs> did that on the spot. And they did, it's a me, a Mario, and I'm like, yeah, I like the pizza. And, uh, and they went, oh, that's, that's perfect. That sounds... <laughs> 
That's spot on. That is as good an Italian guy as you're going to get. You're hired. When can you start? And so that's pretty much my understanding of it is. Now, of course, people have been up in arms about this because, you know, again, Chris Pratt it seems to be unpopular with people for off-screen choices that he's made in his life. We're not judging. We're not saying anything about that here. But, you know, Chris Pratt is a very talented comedic actor. So why are people hauling him over the coals about this one. It's not just Chris Pratt that seems to be the issue here and and what people are taking issue with. So it's an entire cast of comedy actors, which like anywhere else, this is a fantastic voice cast. So you've got Charlie Mm -hmm. Day, who was in the Lego movie with Chris Pratt. So, you know, already very, very good voice actors there. You've got Jack- Spaceman! Spaceman! Um, Spaceman! (laughs) uh, You've got Jack Black. You've got Seth Rogen. As Bowser. (laughs) Jack Black as Bowser. Mm Mm-hmm. It's basically just Bowser playing himself, essentially, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is an amazing cast. Alia Taylor-Joy as well as Princess Peach, which arguably does mm-hmm. work. Um, but anywhere else, a fantastic voice cast. But I think in these in these new ages that we live in, perhaps this is the wrong cast for this project. Maybe. Maybe. I think I think also Twitter just doesn't pass up a chance to haze Chris Pratt and and there were there were some very funny memes going around uh, on I think it was last Friday when the when the news was announced uh, but there's also there's also maybe an element of they're annoyed that Charles Martinet hasn't been cast as Mario in the movie why would you know his voice is so instantly recognizable and yes again may not be the most authentic or culturally sensitive Italian accent in the world but. <laughs> He is Mario, so why isn't he voicing Mario in this movie? You might get a sense of that. Um, well, it doesn't work very well. So Mario is mercifully silent in most of the games, <laughs> apart from the, the odd wah-hoo-hoo and things that he does when he jumps around. <laughs> but in uh, Mario Super Mario Sunshine on the GameCube, he's kind of fully voiced throughout, and that was a horrible, horrible misstep that they okay. have, to the best of my knowledge, never repeated, because there's only so much of that you can take. I've only ever really played Mario Kart. And you're right, he doesn't really speak that much. You get, no. you know, Wario speaks to me. I'm a Wario. I'm a gonna win. I'm a Wario. I'm a gonna win. Yes, I like that. Who's your, who's your Mario Kart driver of choice? Ooh, um, mm, 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 the little uh, toad fella. The little, the little Donald Trump penis guy. Uh, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key in the film, this new yes. film. So that's- yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like his speed. I like his speed. Yeah. Yes, I used to like the Koopa Trooper. He was my favorite, but now, now, so so old school Super Nintendo, original Super Mario Kart, it was Koopa Trooper. Uh, but now on Mario Kart 8, I'm, I'm very partial to Luigi, just because you remember the uh, Luigi Death Stare meme that went along? Do you ever see that? Google Luigi Death Stare and you'll see what I mean. Him sort of, uh, him riding along to, uh, uh, to Riding Dirty and sort of just giving this sort of dead-eyed glare as he goes past, <laughs> and that really appealed to me. So uh, now I only ever use Luigi just because it's psychological warfare, really. <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing so yes um this week as well we also got the first poster for the book of boba fett now that is very interesting and a release date yes for did, yes. the book of boba fett which <laughs> and the first thing i thought was that's going to be a bugger to record after christmas <laughs> yes that's exactly it that's it that was also my thinking because um i think we're going up we're recording up until pretty much christmas eve uh this year and then i was looking forward to taking two weeks off and uh, and then Disney went, nope, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You're going to be doing spoiler specials for the book of Boba Fett because December 29th is when the book of Boba Fett yes. begins. So apparently Hawkeye will finish on December 22nd and then 
a week later, the book of Boba Fett will come along and run for what I don't know, fifty-five episodes or something like that. <laughs> but uh, it was Boba Fett sitting in a throne with a blaster and no book to be seen. Yeah, well, he's sitting down because he can't get up. You know, his back and stuff. So. <laughs> That's going to be the whole show. He's just going to sit there, much like Jabba did. I mean, it's it's very much the thing to do when you're a gangster leader in Mos Eisley. <laughs> you know that Boba Fett, um, he has he's very militant when it comes to books. He always likes his books to be new because uh, <clears throat> oh God. it's no good to be read. Ah, here he is. Even <laughs> even in the face of illness. Wow, thin ice, thin ice web. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Book of Boba Fett, which I'm sure you'll be talking about this week on the Pilot TV podcast. Yes. But uh, yeah, exciting stuff. Are we excited? <laughs> really what do we think? excited. So I, I do have a sentimental attachment to Return of the Jedi. So this is the fact they're going to Tatooine, the fact they're in Jabba's palace. If I get a rankle for Christmas, I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> I'm going to be so what? happy. Well, they've, they've got to have one, I think. If not the original in some sort of like kind of rebirth. Uh, then at least... Remember, Beth, a rancor is for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> but no, I'm really excited, really, really excited. I loved I loved that part of the film. Um, and if they get to explore that world a little bit more um, with that cast as well, I think it's going to be going to be really exciting. So I'm looking forward who's to it. Who's in the cast? Remind me who's in the cast. So we've got Ming-Na Wen, who is obviously from Mandalorian. and um, Fennec Shand. Yes. And then um, Timura Morrison. No one else announced at the moment, though. I'm assuming they're going to have a bigger cast list. <laughs> I thought you no, had, that's it. Like, it's just the two of them. Yeah, yeah. I thought you had the inside track. You just said two people's names. <laughs> two people's names. And, and a wish a wishful rancor <laughs> is what I'm going for. Oh, um, yeah. That, that, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, The Book of Boba Fett, which is, uh, you know, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, but this time with Robert Rodriguez as well. Mm. So let's hope it hits the heights of The Mandalorian, which um, I don't know if they've even started shooting season three of The Mandalorian yet. Yeah, we don't know when we're getting that, do we? Yeah. Can I just say, Beth, that it is so refreshing having a pro Boba Fett uh, POV on this podcast because yes. Helen who's away this week, of course, in Lusty Beck, is is just vehemently anti-Boba Fett. And it's just, it's like she should give give him a chance. I mean, I hated Attack of the Clones. Like, I hated it, but I feel, so did I. yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, no, this is this is a big one for me. From the moment, because he got introduced in the in the Christmas special as well. So we'll always have a, did. always have a, a tender spot in my heart because I secretly love that Christmas special um but um yeah no I'm I'm very excited for it plus we get to see this kind of underworld Star Wars which is always the more appealing to mm. me I'm I'm maybe less I mean look I love all things Star Wars I'm very excited to see it but I think Helen's issue with Boba Fett is not that he's a shit character it's that he isn't a character he's just an empty suit of armor and people have just like have elevated him onto this ridiculous pedestal it's just because his armor's a bit cool it's like he has no character so then what annoys her so much is that people all the Boba Fett stands who are standing a character who isn't really a character and I've got to be honest even after the Mandalorian he's still not really a character so I'm hoping the book of Boba Fett will maybe give him a character and then the Boba Fett stands will have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what this show's going to be, isn't it? It's giving yeah, him- like he just sits around reading Jane Austen or something and we're like, oh, wow, he's a really thoughtful guy. I don't know. He's kind, he like starts a rancor sanctuary. I don't know. He <laughs> does something, something worthwhile and we can all say, oh, I love Boba Fett. He's the one who started the rancor yeah. sanctuary. He's a really nice Out. guy. 
Out by Pontipandi. <laughs> out by Giggle Corner. What a wow. Uh, so another project we've been talking about fairly regularly on the podcast uh, started filming this week, started filming yesterday, I believe, uh, as we're recording this, so Wednesday. Uh, and it is Paul King's Wonka, which is a musical prequel to Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and stars Timmy Two Meets himself, Timothy Chalamet, as Willy Wonka, a young Willy Wonka. And, you know, there's been a fair degree of skepticism about this. And we've always said in the podcast, because Paul King is involved, Paul King has chosen to leave Paddington 3 behind. He's still going to be an executive producer and he's still going to be involved with the story, but he's decided not to direct Paddington 3 and decided to do this instead and in Paul King, we trust. So that's my, always been my position on this movie. And then this week, they announced some casting news. And one particular piece of news, which was, which is very exciting to me, and will be anathema to James. We'll get to that in a second. But the cast, the cast of the movie. Uh, so we got Timmy Two Meets, but he's also now been joined by Olivia Coleman, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Matthew Bainton, Jim Carter, Deja Vu from Top Secret, uh, Tom Davis, Simon Farnaby, who also co-wrote the screenplay, and I'm not sure if that was a new piece of information. I don't think I knew that before. So Simon Farnaby, who also co-wrote Paddington 2 with Paul King, aka the greatest movie ever made that's not Evil Dead 2. That is a good thing. So there's some fantastic people, Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas, Natasha Rothwell, Ellie White, Racky Thrakar, some really, really good, Cobna Holbrook-Smith, really good people in this cast. And the thing that really caught my eye in this announcement is that the movie is going to have original songs written by the Defying Comedy's Neil Hannon. In my opinion, Neil Hannon is a musical genius. The Defying Comedy are a phenomenal band, and he is one of the greatest melodicists and lyricists. Very witty fellow. Very, very musically uh, adept and adroit. And this is exciting, exciting news. Anyone who knows the Defying Comedy knows their work will know that Neil Hannon has been much given to writing songs that are pretty much made for musicals so he, he you know for years i've been saying he should make and write a big musical i'm mega 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 excited hugely excited what about you guys jimbo keep it keep it nice keep it nice if there's an excited center to the universe i'm on the planet that it's farthest from why i don't like the divine comedy i don't care about the divine comedy make them go away i am gonna wait to see it but- <laughs> oh, that's very measured of you, Beth. <laughs> I am. Um, I demand you take an extreme position, sight unseen, like I do every time. <laughs> Just blindly swiping at something I know nothing about. I slightly despair at origin stories because I always look at the talent involved. I look at the director involved. I, I look at all this and I see extraordinary potential to do something original uh, instead of going back to colouring a story that we don't necessarily need to know that much about. But... That is an extraordinary cast list. That is an extraordinary director. I will exercise patience to the best of my ability uh, and watch <laughs> that film. But it's, I mean, as well, we've got to consider that this is not going to be the last time we see a Roald Dahl origin story, are we? So I'm assuming this is part of the big deal that Netflix had when they acquired. It is not. No, this oh. is not. This is the one outlier that isn't part of the deal because it was already uh, in production elsewhere. So I think everything Roald Dahl falls into that deal apart from this. I, okay. I think this is the only exception. Well, maybe this is the litmus test to kind of see how it is. I think, you know, 
there are probably plenty more world origin stories to tell. We'll see the origin story of the peach, maybe, or I know. Yes, that- yes. What we see it growing from a seed on a and then a little small peach on a branch. To I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. I'm slightly delirious. <laughs> with you. But I will say I have never enjoyed a Wonka. I have never enjoyed. I don't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I didn't enjoy the other Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I don't really like enjoy the books either. Joy, so- do you? I can see now why the the songs of the Divine Comedy have left you cold. Yeah. Yes, I don't like the Divine Comedy. I don't like whimsy, joy, happiness, Roald Dahl, or indeed the idea of this film. So. But the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was fucking terrifying, though. I would not say that there was whimsy in that. That was a genuinely sinister, surreal... I'm not sure they meant it to be. Well, that's though. how I took it. <laughs> it's like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes, it's absolute stone-cold nightmare yeah. fodder, but I'm not sure that's what they had in mind well, when they made that's it. What we, that's what they got, basically. Um, <laughs> I didn't say I remember seeing it on, on telly and I didn't sleep for, I think, two weeks afterwards it was really really bad two weeks two <laughs> weeks i am looking forward to having the memories of tim burton's uh china chocolate factory erased from my brain yeah um so i'm hoping this will do some good i'll just this is a boring thing for me to say i will wait to see it because it's an extraordinary talentless but there's no place for you on the empire podcast what are you talking about measured sensible wait and see attitude (laughs) so for people who uh, don't know the divine comedy they are uh, (laughs) they are they are neil hannon essentially but what i'm going to say is that neil hannon is fantastic he's from northern ireland he is a musical genius uh as i said before he has written some phenomenal, phenomenal songs, a lot of which are tailor-made for musicals. Uh, if you don't know The Divine Comedy, uh, what I might do is on my Spotify account, I might put together a playlist of Divine Comedy songs that I think are might give you a clue of where he might go with, with Wonka. So I might, I might throw it up. Then again, I might not. Who knows? It'll take me literally 10 minutes to do that. So that's obviously far too much effort uh, already. But yes, very, very excited indeed about Wonka. You had me at Neil Hannon. Um, Guy Ritchie's new movie with Jason Statham yes. is called Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Pardon? <laughs> I think you're bad. Did you just make that up? That sounds like... I didn't. I, I didn't. think you might have done. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. No. So, Ruse de Guerre. Ruse de Guerre. Now, I've been doing Duolingo for 18 months, so I know that Guerre means war. Yeah. And de means de. So, ruse, is that I presume streets? means, you know, fuck it, I'm going to Google this Translate like this, aren't I? You've, you've this drawn streets of War. It's Streets of War, which sounds a lot like Streets of Rage, so it's clearly a remake what? of the popular Mega Drive game from the 1990s, Streets of Rage. There we go, that's what he's making with Jesse. It sounds what? like you've done a, a Guy Ritchie word map and then taken darts and just thrown them at the word map, and what's landed there is... is uh, Operation Fortune Ruse to, to grow, whatever the, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. That just sounds like a real cliche. Do you think this is why it's taken Wrath of Man so long to come to our screens? Because he's been duolingoing the title for his next film. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my, yeah, he's been he's been co-writing this movie with a, a sentient owl that can speak many, many languages. <laughs> the Statham just yelling, Come on, owl, where's the library? <laughs> It's just Jason, Jason Statham asking where the library is. And, um, <laughs> Who ate Dante Esther, la biblioteca? <laughs> Who ate le piscine? <laughs> that's, what the, that's what this movie is. So it's not Ruse, R-U-E-S, Jimbo. It's Ruse, R-U-S-E, Daguerre. So it is actually, according to my uh, translator here, uh, War Cunning. So it's Operation Fortune, War Cunning. War Cunning. War Cunning, in it. 
So, uh, so this is coming out on January 21st. Now, you may think, hey, didn't Wrath of Man come out in the stage ages ago and isn't getting an UK release? Well, actually, it is. We just got a, an email in our inboxes today saying that yep. uh, Wrath of Man is coming out in December. So if Whoa. Operation Fortune Rose de Guerre comes out <laughs> the month after, we'll have a double whammy of Jason Statham, Guy Ritchie goodness. Wow. That's uh, exhausting. Sounds absolutely yeah, in a good way. Yeah. It's Uncoyab, I believe. I believe you think. I think you'll find. Trayvon. Trayvon. Yes, absolutely. So very exciting. Anything else you want to talk about before we uh, we close the door on? Uh, well, news? Ridley Scott made an offhand comment to you about having being ready to go on Gladiator Two, which we then wrote up as a news story on the website, and the whole internet got very very excited. Isn't that right, Chris? Yes, despite the fact that this has already been announced, which shows you how the movie news cycle works. Which is project gets announced, people. Forget the project gets announced. Project gets mentioned again briefly in an interview, and people go nuts for it. So yes, uh, I interviewed Ridley for the new issue of Empire, which we should talk about in a second. Give it a big old plug, and um, I said, you know, we're talking about how how he works and what you know how he's managed to make two movies at the same time in the Last Duel and House of Gucci, and he said, oh yeah, I do it. I'm I'm doing it now. So I'm I'm about to shoot Kitbag and while Kitbag is being made as his Napoleon movie with Wacky Phoenix and uh, Jodie Comer and while that's being made then Gladiator 2 is being written and so he wouldn't say anything else about it but um, yeah but Gladiator 2 looks like it will happen now if you know anything about the production history of Gladiator 2 then you will know that Nick Cave Lee Nick Cave wrote a screenplay for Gladiator 2, which is <gasps> batshit insane. Amazing. And had uh, Maximus basically, I believe he went to the afterlife and then was given, um, returned to the world and then had to fight loads of mystical beasties. And if I'm right in thinking, traveled through like time and went through different <sighs> centuries and ended up in the modern day or something, it was completely and utterly bonkers. But um, I would love to see them revisit that in some way now if nick cave had written the songs for the wonka origin story you would have my attention like fully that that would get me excited well check out this define comedy playlist i'm going to put together on spotify that's gonna that's gonna that's okay gonna convince you it's gonna that's change your clincher, mind is it? That. that's the one that's the one i do like a bit of nick cave when i like the one he did with kylie minogue Ah. Oh, anyway uh yes so that's good news and we'll talk about the new issue of empire in a second and it's been in the works for a long time. I'm sure this is another one of those movies that's been announced 47 times. But I am excited to see that Murder Mystery 2 is now a 100% real deal. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston returning for a film um, that is a sequel to, quite frankly, the greatest movie ever made. It's not Paddington 2 <laughs> yes. or Evil Dead 2. Or any of the other movies that are better than it. <laughs> anyway. Or any of the other movies. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked around at the hill I was dying on and <laughs> realized very quickly I didn't want to be there. Uh, but that's exciting. That's exciting. All exciting stuff. Um, and we're excited about the exciting stuff. <laughs> oh, God. What, do you, what do you want from me? <laughs> we're excited about the exciting stuff. And I'm ill. And let's get this fucking podcast finished. <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about um, should we talk about two last things the trailer for Licorice Pizza yes we should totally talk about it more specifically you should tell me about it because I didn't watch it <laughs> oh James I like licorice if that helps and I'm also <laughs> fond of pizza so obviously by that rationale I will enjoy this film what's the worst thing you've ever had in a pizza what's the, str- what's the strangest thing you've ever had in a pizza I feel like you're going to trump this though aren't you because I, I just have nice stuff like brisket and carrots and that and I feel like 
carrots. Carrots. What? <laughs> Sorry, Who puts what? fucking carrot on pizza? That's freak Listen, behavior. there's a really lovely brisket pizza that uh, a fantastic pizza chain called Home Slice. Other pizza chains are available. Do and oh, Home Slice is amazing. Brisket and yeah, pizza. But who's putting brisket and carrot on a pizza? That's oh, no, they just, do. No. They do now, I remember. Just, they do. It's phenomenal. Yeah. But I feel like Chris yeah. is going to trump this with like gizzard no, no, and no. like I'm I'm very very straight down the middle with my with my pizza uh, preferences. I I like the sizzler from Domino's, which is the king of pizzas <laughs> obviously, but uh, <laughs> but otherwise no, I'm just like put a bit of meat on there, you know, maybe some peppers, a bit of onion, cheese, obviously. And then, you know, I'm good to go. I'm happy. I'm I'm fine. I like a sloppy Giuseppe, but then again, who doesn't? <laughs> Am I right? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. But licorice on a pizza? Carrots on a pizza? Are you insane? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with broccoli on pizza. I can deal with pineapple on pizza, but carrot? Absolutely He's not. He's drawing the line yeah. of carrot. Well, so fine. licorice pizza uh, yes. sounds like a character from Fireman Sam. Sounds like <laughs> someone who's moved in next door to Bella Bella Lasagna. <laughs> hey, I'm Bella Lasagna. Ah, I'm a licorice pizza. But no, it is. It is not that. It is. It is Paul Thomas Anderson, the second best directing Paul Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> it's new movie. It is. Licorice Pizza, and we've been wondering what this is for a long, long time. There's been lots of rumors about who's going to be in this, the, the cast. Yeah. And we, we kind of knew that Bradley Cooper was going to be playing John Peters, the producer, the movie producer who produced, of course, A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand, which, of course, was remade by Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. What? <gasps> mind blown, mind mind blown. I went I went full Ronnie Corbett there. Mind blown. <laughs> oh, he's completely undone himself. Yes. So yes, this is a good trainer. But we now know that this is more of a kind of love story between two young people, one of whom is significantly younger than the other. Cooper Hoffman, who is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, of course, worked with PTA many, many, many times in every single one of his movies until his untimely death. And then Alana Haim of the band Haim. So it's about their kind of tentative courtship in the 1970s. And then other, you know, the more famous people are kind of... The, the peppers and the and the onions on this pizza. <laughs> I mean, it's a great cast. I'm really excited for Cooper Hoffman. And I love Haim, so that's going to be... Uh, I, I like he's kind of come in with a... I mean, obviously, they're established in other ways, but like I'm looking forward to it being two people acting in this way for the first time. And then you've got oh the, the Lord and Saviour Tom Waits, who I will just always be excited to see in absolutely anything. Uh, Sean Penn, mm-hmm. Benny Safdie... Uh, <laughs> You know, Sean Penn, uh, Mayor Rudolph, who's obviously wife to PTA. But I, yeah, this this looks like it's heading back to kind of a boogie night zero of of PTA, which is my favorite PTA film. So I'm very, very, very. It excited. looks a little bit like it has the romantic sweep of Punch Drunk Love, which of course mm. is the fifth best Adam Sandler movie, just behind Murder Mystery. You don't mess with the Sohan. Halloween UP. I was going to say. And Happy Gilmore. Um, no, it's, I love Punch Drunk Love. Uh, so it looks like it's got that romantic sweep with the sort of brefure of filmmaking that we know him for and maybe that love of the 70s yeah. that even though Boogie Nights is kind of more of an 80s film, but it's certainly there in Inherent Vice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this, it's not a return to form because I really loved Phantom Thread, 
but this feels like it could be the first movie in which we see demonstrably the PTA of Boogie Nights and Magnolia. If you know what I mean, he's made a conscious decision to move away from that style of filmmaking. I would say recently with like The Master and Phantom Thread and Inherent Vice, and and this is maybe returning to that. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. We'll see we'll see what happens and see how the you know the we'll see how the film turns out. There you go. <laughs> there That's a controversial go. statement. <laughs> Controversial statement. I'll wait and see it, and then I'll form an opinion. Wait, let's wait. Oh, fuck <laughs> it. We could, every news section could be so much shorter if we just did that everywhere. <laughs> we just state very, very boldly the news. A man has been cast in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then we just go, well, let's wait and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen it, therefore cannot formulate an opinion. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorted. Oh, that'd be so, uh, that would be pretty boring. I won't, this I won't is a new do format. That. We should explore this. <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that next next week. We'll do it from now on. Uh, one bit of very, very sad news, which broke just as we recorded last week's podcast, was the sudden death of the great British director, Roger Mitchell, who died at 65. And his next film, The Duke, which apparently is fantastic, I know people who've seen it and said it's, it's terrific, uh, was meant to come out later in the year. I don't know whether it is still a plan, but uh, he was a tremendous director. He obviously directed the likes of Notting Hill mm. and Phoenix. He directed Changing Lanes, a film I really like with Samuel Dot Jackson and uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, he directed The Mother. He directed Enduring Love, which kind of two of Daniel Craig's most interesting non-Bond, pre-Bond performances. Very, very versatile director. I think he was not afraid of a challenge um, in terms of, I mean, to follow up something like Four Weddings and a Funeral, which was such a significant British film and then to go on to make Notting Hill which was and is to this day one of the highest grossing British films ever I think is it takes some takes some guts I think to be able to pull something like that off and and in terms of like adapting source material as well like Enduring Love you know it feels like quite uh, a challenging novel to try and kind of mm-hmm. bring out to the screen and he managed to do that really well with Samantha Morton and Daniel Craig as you were saying um yeah massive loss I'm really looking forward to seeing the Duke as you say I've heard some some excellent things and perhaps that this is even his best so you know that with with this uh, added kind of meaning behind it I think will be quite a significant trip to the pitches Indeed. And he was a hard at work, apparently, on a documentary as well when he died. So very, very sad indeed. 65 is no age at all. But very, very sad news indeed. Roger Michel, who died at the age of just 65 last week. And now, folks, it is that time. It is New Empire time because, yes, indeed, a new issue of Empire has hit the shelves, both real and virtual. And we're very, very excited about it. And there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue. Isn't there, folks, on the cover... We have uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. So we have a big old feature dedicated to Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is, of course, a belated sequel to his dad's own Ghostbusters movies from 1984 and 1989. And so we spoke to both Reitman's. We spoke to both Jason and Ivan for that. So that's a big old deep dive into that. What else we got in there? We got Ridley Scott, as we mentioned previously, talking about The Last Duel, which is a, a film that is sure to garner some controversy when it opens later in the month. Um, he talks very frankly and very freely about that. We have a feature on The Harder They Fall, which is James Samuel's very interesting take on a Western, which is a, a Netflix movie. It's going to come out soon with an incredible all-star cast, including the likes of Regina King and Jonathan Majors and Idris Elba. What else is in there? 
Uh, I spoke to Celine Skiama, which was, I'm sorry, she is one of the coolest people I've ever spoken to. Uh, she made films like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That was her big international hit, but she's had an astonishing body of work up until then. Um, a lot of kind of queer coming of age films, uh, Water Lilies, Tomboy. She did a wonderful drama called Girlhood. Uh, and now she's sort of come back to coming of age, but in a very interesting way for a film called Petit Maman, which is um, out very soon, um, which is a very beautiful, poignant film about kind of intergenerational relationships. There's a little touch of magical realism in there. And she looks absolutely boss in this issue. She's wearing an amazing <laughs> T-shirt with her own name on it, which a great company called Girls on Tops uh, make and sell. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, mm -hmm. There's an Eternals feature, which um, mm -hmm. is really, really exciting and wonderful. There's loads more goodness inside the issue. We have Francis Ford Coppola, who has uh, returned to The Outsiders and Rumblefish and uh, turned it into something called The Outsiders, the complete novel, which will be out later in the year. And he tells us all about that and the legends of filmmaking, of course. Uh, Gods Among Us this month, which is a deep dive into the career of a movie icon, is Mr. Will Smith. So that's exciting. Good stuff there. What else is in the issue? I'm just having a little quick scroll through. Denny Villeneuve talks about, oh God, here he goes. Dune. Yes. Oh, in his own words. Dune in his own words. So we have Denny Dune-splaining Dune to us. <laughs> the only thing, well, it's not good of me Dune-splaining, obviously, but the second best thing to me Dune-splaining is hearing Denis Villeneuve do it himself. I, I swear to God, I, I think putting you in the same room as him would be a big mistake. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't think you'll get through a question. It'll be like, you know, you get <laughs> half an hour Denny Villeneuve and you'll, you'll be halfway through your first question and you'll be wrapped up. In the Take 20 news section, uh, Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Branagh, Sir Kenneth Branagh, 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 writes for us about his new movie, Belfast. So he does, which is really nice of him. Um, so that's very, very good. Well done, Sir Ken. Thank you for that. There's loads more inside there as well. And in my section, the best section, uh, review, the section I occasionally tend to uh, when I'm not editing the podcast is is is, uh, is a cracker. It is an absolute cracker. We have an in-depth interview with Thomas Finterberg about Another Round, which is one of the best movies of the year. Oh, uh, we we have uh, bits of the Quentin Tarantino interview I did recently that you will not find on the podcast, which I would have finished this week uh, and put up this week only for my for my illness. So I'm going to try and get the podcast up soon. But if you want some Quentin Tarantino in the meantime, you can go and read him talking about his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization. Uh, we have Kate Shortland talking about Black Widow. We rank the movies of James Cameron. It's all very, very exciting. Uh, and all yours in one delectable, delicious package. Empire Magazine on sale now and all good, evil and digital news agents. Go pick it up. Pay my wages, you absolute motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to sell it. That's it. Put the offensive and charm offensive there. Um, yes, and so on that note, it is time now for our second guest this week, uh, exclusively to the Empire podcast. Daniel Craig gave just one interview around the release of No Time to Die, and he, no, he, he was talking to everybody. But... He also talked to us as well. And uh, uh, there's a big moment. There's a big moment for Daniel Craig. Um, I don't think he's ever been on the Empire podcast. So he was a bit overwhelmed at first, but I calmed him down. I <laughs> I reassured him. I put him at ease. And uh, he soon settled into it. So it's so good for him. Uh, no, it's a big moment for Daniel Craig. We're obviously going to be doing a lot of No Time to Die content on the, on the podcast. 
both spoiler specials and otherwise over the next uh, couple of weeks. So keep them peeled for uh, Bond-related content coming your way. But yeah, it's the end of an era for old Daniel Craig, for old DC, hanging up the old Walter PPK after 15 years. The longest reign any Bond has had in the role. Um, we're not counting Connery because Never Say Never Again was kind of unofficial and all, all that. But 15 years, 15 years since mm-hmm. Casino Royale. Uh, so we had a good old natter last week uh, over Zoom. Now, I will say Zoom has got a lot better uh, in the pandemic at things like audio ducking and crosstalk and been able to handle crosstalk. But every now and again, it falters a little bit. Unlike Squadcast, solid, eh? Squadcast, woohoo! Squadcast, go Squadcast. Uh, and this one did falter a little bit. So whenever we talk over each other, his sound dips and so on. Uh, hopefully, though, it won't ruin your enjoyment of this interview. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of No Time to Die, Mr. Daniel Craig. How the devil are you, sir? I'm good, I'm good, and you, you're good. Not too yeah. bad, not too bad. Um, last time we spoke, Daniel, was in uh, New York, just before Christmas 2019. Much has happened since then. There's been... A lot has happened since then, yeah. Yeah, a lot of water under the bridge. Uh, has this period, this this enforced delay, what has that meant for you? Has it, has it given you a time to further come to terms with this being it for you and Bond? Um, yes, I suppose. Um, Although, of course, there's so much unfinished business um, with, with the movie. You know, ordinarily, especially with Bond movies, there's such a quick turnaround. I mean, we kind of finish the movie. It's, they get no time to, no, no time to, no, there's no time at all to edit the movie. Um, I'm, even now I'm doing the gags. Um, it, it, and the movie's out and suddenly, you know, we're kind of, we're doing the press and we're doing it. And it's sort of this roller coaster that, that happens after a Bond movie. It's uh, um, unusually quick. Mm. And that kind of, we, 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 we ramped up and I think I spoke to you and we were kind of, everything was ready to go. We did some Times Square where they lit up Times Square and, and then stopped. And I suppose that has been, and, and then just, you know, pile on what's been happening in the world, which has put so many things into perspective for everybody. Um, I've just had to kind of get, just try and get Zen about it and just go, you know, as frustrating as it was, and 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 um, um, you know, you kind of uh, all these people and me have put in all this hard work to to get something out, and then we just have to shelve it. And thankfully, you know, MGM were incredibly brave, and uh, and Universal were incredibly brave, and said we want to put this in the cinemas. Let's wait, because I'm sure you know. I mean, the rumors going around where you know it could get streamed, it could get you know just sold to a streaming service, and that would be it. And yeah. that felt really, you know, again, trying to keep things into perspective. It's not the end of the world and people would get to see it, but it just felt wrong. Um, so we're here uh, and it feels like the right thing to be doing and hopefully a chance to sort of just celebrate and say, see us. Thanks very much. It's all been good. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your last line as Bond? That's my speech I'm planning. And that's where it's at at the moment. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> See ya, it's been good. Bye. Thanks. Yeah, lovely. Bye. (laughs) Well, you know, Lazenby got to break the fourth wall, so you should get to break the fourth wall as well. Oh, Lazenby did. Yeah. In what sense? What what do you mean? In what his uh, the documentary? No, in the uh, in the opening of he gets to say, "This never happened to the other fella." I've forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't get a chance. They don't let me do that. (laughs) 
No one's ever allowed me to do that. Why not? It's your last movie. You know, party on. Just do whatever the hell you want to do. The winks at the camera. Just, you know. <laughs> Well, like people walk off and I'm going to go, you know, oh, my God, you see what they just said? Um, like, <laughs> or, you know, the, the bad guy, he's in a bad mood or something like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. But the, the last time we spoke, you were you were very candid and you've been very candid in that documentary, uh, which uh, which is on Apple right now about yes. the, the struggles you had with with Bond, especially early on. You know, trying to be comfortable yeah, in the in the skin of the world. Across as a, as a wine, I kind of just. No. I, I just hope that kind of it was like that. I, I just it was an opportunity to talk about it, and I wasn't really looking forward to talking about it for a number of reasons. One, because you know it was a kind of tough time, and I just sort of went, oh, it's all fine, and move on, don't worry about it." And also because I didn't want it to be like, oh, "Poor old me, this happened." But actually, it was really nice to sit there with Michael and Barbara and just sort of remember it. You know, because I, me- I remember it with massive fondness. And it was just all this other sort of shit was going on around it that was sort of, which actually was meaningless at the time because I, I knew we had a good film. So I-, I knew we had a, you know, I knew Casino was good. So you kind of go, wait, wait and see. Wait, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Don't worry, you know. But was there a point in, in at which it clicked for you? Was there a point at which Bond, you know, all, all, all the worries, all the stresses, all the struggles and strains went away? Oh. Ten minutes ago. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, I mean, no, I, it, there's, no there, there's never, I just don't think it's that kind of job. <laughs> and and, and I'm, that's me as well. I mean, I mean I'm, that's per, probably part of my problem about things. I take things quite seriously, unfortunately, but also because I care and I love what I do. So I'm never not trying to figure out whether we can make it a bit better, whether we can do it, you know, just, I, I, you know, it's James Bond. It's just, this is it. This is like, you know, for as far, you know, for me personally, it's like, this is like kind of it's the biggest thing I've ever done in my career. It's the biggest thing. One of the biggest things in my life growing up, it's like, it's massively important to me. And maybe that, you know, taking it too seriously is, and, and sometimes you've got to lighten it. And I, I, I think I've, we've definitely managed to do that on this movie. It's, it's felt like creatively, like we've had, um, we've put in all the right things to make it. So there's a, certainly, there's a lot of lightness in this movie. There's a lot of emotion, but there's a lot, lot of lightness. Um, but I'm always, I'm always trying to ask the question, are we doing good enough? Are we looking around the room and saying, is this, is this, if this isn't good enough, it's not in the movie. Let's move on. Let's get something else. Let's find something better. So um, probably pain in the ass is, you know, when I, <laughs> is what most people think of me. <laughs> Telling well, that's the truth. That's what most people think of me. <laughs> oh, there's Daniel. Pain in the ass. <laughs> the um, the, uh, the interesting thing. Right now, I can't are, tell you. Are people nodding? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, but obviously, one of the things that you have done with the role is that you have this, you, you've, you've interrogated the part from a very actorly standpoint. And you've, you've, you've got this arc that runs through all five films, which is completely different than any Bond had, had you know, approached the role before, any Bond actor had approached the role before. But having said that, was, is there anything that you couldn't do with the character? Because Bond himself is... There, there are you, you know you've got room to move or obviously but the bond himself was relatively set in the stone but was there anything you wanted to do any eccentricities any foibles that you wanted to bring to the character but just couldn't quite make work 
You know, it's, it, it, I, I, there's not restrictions on it, but there's definitely, it's James Bond. And at a certain point that, you know, I, I've, you know, a lot of people have talked about the sort of the humor in the movies and there was a lot more humor when, you know, when Roger did it and a lot more gags and a lot more kind of, and I've always just sort of said, you know, I mean, I'd love to do gags, but you can't, the way we've done the movies, you can't write gags. <laughs> the one-liners are kind of going to feel out of place. And I think also, I, I, I was always like maintaining that, you know, if I start trying to say one-liners, people are just going to go, yeah, no, it's like that's, but what I will say is that if the writing gets funny and it, I think we have, I mean, just having Phoebe involved and just even, you know, in the, you know, on a really busy schedule, she got involved and just came in and sprinkled some more. She more, did more than that, but she, she came in and just, she gave everybody in the cast a little more leeway, a little more like uh, room to be funny because it's a very serious situation. And the funny lines are when people break that seriousness. That's what, that's what makes people laugh. I think um, it's not kind of the, 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 the gag line itself is usually it, yeah, it's funny. It's ha ha ha. But the really funny lines are when you break, you know, you break the tension. And I think Phoebe gave everybody. So there's a little more improvisation going on with everybody. And, and there are moments, you know, from Ben and Mashana and everybody who's just like, and they're genuinely funny. And I, I, I'd credit that with, with Phoebe's influence uh, just on, on, on everything, just because, you know, she just sort of puts some really little smart things going on in there. So, um, I don't think that answered, answered your question, did it? I just sort of went off on a tangent there. So. But we are a podcast, and that's what one's supposed to do, I suppose. That is what podcasts are there for, layer, layer tangents. If we stayed on topic, that, that would disappoint that people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally no point whatsoever. But was there, was there anything going into this that, that you hadn't done with Bond that you wanted to do? Was there a bucket list of Bond? I, there, was, there was always a, 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 a you know, I, I wanted to sort of throw the kitchen sink at this one a bit. Um, and we, we all did. Um, and that, you know, Carrie... I think definitely has brought, I, I don't want to think about all the gadgets and stuff, things like that, but Carrie was very, really good at, with all that. And he said, you know, and he's just, he snuck them all in here. And there's some great stuff in there that I just, I'm really so happy is in the movie. And he's, he's sort of brilliant with, um, um, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to this, uh, as much as I know, I mean, I've sort of, I, I love the word you use, actorly. I'm like, <laughs> I'm very actorly. Um, is that, that, um, that, I always, I never forget these are Bond movies. You've got to have stuff that makes it a Bond movie. Otherwise, what's the point? Then it's just a, it's just a kind of, uh, I don't know, it's derivative of something else. It's not a Bond. And so we've always, but we've definitely sort of pulled out the stops in this one um, and found new ways of doing them. And that was all, as my dream always to, 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 to find the old, the old sort of um, tropes, the gags, the, the things that, that made it up and just find an, an, a fresh way of, of selling them. And I think we've really succeeded in this one. I just want to go back to that idea because the, the um, of what you brought to the role as an actor and how the role changed you as an actor, because we all know LeBond changed your life, but did mm. it change you as an actor? Are you a different actor now than you were when you, you started on Casino? Yes. And I, 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 I kind of mourned for a while the actor I was in Casino because in Casino, I didn't know any better. So all of the kind of pressure, even though it seemed like there was an awful lot of pressure on me, I just was like, I don't understand that. I just don't get it. I mean, it just means nothing to me because it has no. And then you do one and you get some success and you go, oh, shit. 
And that's a kind of double-edged sword. If if I, you know, if it happened to be made casino, it was a pile of shit, and I walked away, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> we'd, be like, <laughs> we'd be like, yeah, that's that bloke that nearly was James Bond. And yeah. it's like, and it kind of all would have gone away and whatever, you know, maybe I would have carried on acting and that would have been great. <laughs> but we got it, it 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 hit. And 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 in that sense, the need to succeed is there, the pressure of that. And I kind of sort of sometimes would yearn after the person I was when we did Casino. Too much knowledge sometimes is just a little bit um, not a good thing. And I was sort of, you know, I was, I was sort of in the dark about a lot of things, about the way things work, the mechanics of it, the way the world really viewed Bond and how, it, you know, all of those things, I was just, I didn't understand them. And, I, and then I suddenly started understanding them and the weight of it sort of probably kind of bore down and then kind of the troubles you know like when we did quantum was a bit kind of just it was a bit of a shit show to say to say the least mm. the full weight of it was there and it kind of i think i think that kind of made me probably lock up and thankfully it's just been about for me since then it's just been loosening it loosening it and loosening it and trying to get back to that feeling of casino which is just like come on it's james bond enjoy yourself let's just have a let's have a good time <laughs> um, I'm still a you know moody kind. Bond to the bond. Um, I can't say that word. Can I? Can I? Don't worry. That's fine. You, you're in safe hands with me. My my editing <laughs> software is going to take care of that one. Um, say that now. <laughs> yeah, say that now. Daniel Craig says bond to the bond. On shocker. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've got you to go in a second. But uh, I do want to ask about about the future because obviously you've just returned to Benoit Blanc and. Oh my god! Yeah. I cannot tell you how excited I am for for whatever that film's going to be called. Um, good, so happy, good. Uh, you know, Ryan is. Uh, I'm so. I mean, I'm so lucky to have Ryan in my life. You know, and to have someone as uh, great as that, and such a great writer. And you know, that script arrived, and I literally was going when that arrived. It was. Uh, I was shown it. I was like, "You're kidding me! You want me to?" I mean, I was so like, I couldn't believe that. You wanted me to play it. And I was going, and I was going, it says Southern accent. You went, yeah. I was like, I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, we've just finished the second one. Um, literally weeks ago, we just finished it. They've just wrapped up in, in Serbia. Um, I mean, I dare I say it's better. We'll see. I don't want to, I don't want to tempt fate. It's just, it's different. And, and that's the amazing thing. Um, and that's, that's what, you know, it's still a Benoit Blanc mystery, but it's, it's very different. So that's, I'm very excited about it. I cannot wait to see that. And, uh, and I'm very excited about seeing how you do say goodbye to people as Bond. I hope it is. See ya. See ya. Bag <laughs> 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 a beer. Bye. <laughs> Staggering out of shot. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. To the, the wanna, blazing sound. I want to be remembered. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. On that note, Daniel Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Okay, so that was Daniel Craig. And I should point out, in case it wasn't already clear after you've listened to the interviews, that those interviews were conducted before they showed No Time to Die to people. But we have now seen No Time to Die because we've had a bit of a time jump in real life, folks, this is now Friday morning. Uh, we have reconvened on Squadcast. James and I got negative COVID tests back yesterday. And so uh, despite the <laughs> remonstrations of my stomach, I decided to risk it uh, and go to the local cinema to catch No Time to Die, the very, very last screening last night. Jimbo saw it uh, last night as well. We so found we've now time to die. All seen. 
we've we found time to watch No Time to Die. So we have now seen No Time to Die. So there's only really one place to start, and that is with the Starling, which is <laughs> <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, romantic drama, which is on Netflix. No, I'm only kidding. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, we are going to talk about No Time to Die. We're going to get into it in, in as much depth as we possibly can. We are going to be doing uh, at least one spoiler special dedicated to this movie. Uh, so subscribers to the spoiler special channel can uh, look forward to that one. Uh, but it's not just me, Beth and Jimbo here today. We have been joined by the man who wrote Empire's No Time to Die review, who was the first person from Empire to see the movie. It is, of course, Nugent. John Nugent. <laughs> oh, damn, you stole my intro. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> Hello, John. It's also worth pointing out that John not only wrote the review and not only wrote it in the wee hours immediately after coming out of the premiere, but he wrote the James Bond review in a tux as these reviews should always be written. Were you drinking martini, John? Uh, no, I think I had a green tea. Um, That's much the same. I didn't feel anything like James Bond, to be honest. I did. I Were was you making wearing love a, tux. To a beautiful woman? <laughs> Uh, no. Writing just... Bond reviews is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. <laughs> no, it was it was mainly just other sweaty journalists writing to <laughs> a making very love tight to other deadline. sweaty journalists? <laughs> no, no, it was very unbondy. Um, no bondage but, was happening at all? No, no. Okay, <laughs> okay that's no. good. That's good to know. We've, we've established the parameters. Um, but the, talk, about, talk about the film, uh, John. For people who may not have seen No Time to Die, take us through it. Tell us about it. And, and what it's like. Well, James Bond, for people who don't know, is a spy. Um, <laughs> Thanks, John. He's a B- British secret agent. Uh, yeah, like so Austin this, Powers. <laughs> it's a bit like, it's a parody of Austin Powers. <laughs> now, this is the 25th uh, film in the Bond series, of course. And this is uh, Daniel Craig's wow. last. I mean, you, everyone knows this. I don't need to say this, do I? <laughs> but, imagine, imagine, you know, there, there's someone has tuned into the Empire podcast and has no idea who James Bond is. Don't imagine that. Don't, don't imagine that. Is it good, John? Tell us if it's good. So films. Let me explain what cinema is. <laughs> no. So the the uh, we this is obviously Daniel Craig's last hurrah. So we find him uh, essentially retired. Uh, this is very much a direct sequel to Spectre, and and really all of. Daniel Craig's other films. And at the start of the film, he is uh, retired with his his new love, Madeleine Swann, played by Lea Seydoux, who uh, is, re- returns from the last film. Uh, and then he gets swept up into a new web of mystery and deceit. Uh, Just when he thought he was out. Yes, it's a bit in. Godfather 3. So we have, you know, the, the the shattered remains of Spectre and Blofeld still hanging about, but also a new sinister villain in Safin, a man who wears a Phantom of the Opera mask and speaks in a sort of vaguely you Eastern tell European accent. villain because his first name is Liutsifer. Is that really <laughs> his first name? I didn't Liut- see that. Liutsifer Safin. Oh my god! Which sounds a bit like Lucifer Satan. You know, just in case that, that subtext was lost on anyone, he's the villain. Like Robert De Niro from Angel Heart. Well, what's your name? I'm Louis Cipher. Say, say it fast. Go on, say it fast. Say it. Go on, go on. Make the connection. Go on. Uh, anyway, yes. So yes. Safin. Safin's the bad guy. Yes. So Dr. Evil is the bad guy. And uh, uh, yes. And so Jeffrey writes uh, Felix Leiter comes back in James Bond's life to try and bring him back into the fold and uh, and yes 
a, a classic James Bond's uh, uh, adventure occurs. I don't really want to say too much, really, because there yeah, are a few tricky, surprises in this film, and it's good to go in mm, a bit mm. cold. But like, but do you think but it falls? Because we, we're in Star Trek territory, I think a little bit with these with these Craig Bonds, where we get we get a good one, then a bad one, then a good one, then a bad one. So is this following the pattern, John? Would you well, say? Well, I I have a theory. Before John gets into that, I have a theory that the quality of a Daniel Craig Bond film uh, correlates directly to the quality of the theme song. So, Casino Royale is an all-time great Bond film with an all-time great Bond theme. Chris Cornell's You Know My Name. Yeah. Quantum of Solace is not very good, although I need to revisit it because Andrew Ellard, who is a friend of, of the, the magazine, did an amazing video essay on uh, kind of redeeming Quantum of Solace uh, this no, week. This is, on, this is on YouTube. <laughs> and it convinced me to go back and give it a, a rewatch. But that also has a pretty bad song by Alicia Keys and Jack White. Um, then you have Skyfall, which is a great traditional yep. Bond film and a great traditional Bond theme with Adele. Then you have Spectre, which I thought was a, largely a clunker, really good first hour, but largely a clunker. And it has possibly one of the top three worst Bond themes, <laughs> that Sam Smith atrocity that somehow won an Oscar. Uh, writings on the wall. Dreadful, 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 dreadful. <laughs> and I was worried about this one going in because I do not like the Billie Eilish song. Oh, you don't? I, don't I, mind I really it, don't like it. Uh, but I, and I, I, I was hoping desperately that this would buck the trend and have a and be a really good film uh, uh, paired with a, a middling song. Um, I'm not sure that's the case. I quite like the song. I think the song works much better in situ when you see it in the title sequence, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was nice and it sort of pulled up on lots of the nice little themes. It's one of these things I was watching it thinking, how do they do these title sequences? Do they say, this is broadly speaking what the film's about. These are the themes. Here's a bit of music. Come up with some lovely visuals. Like, I want to know. I want to know how this is done. But yeah. that's probably beyond the scope of this particular review. <laughs> so yes, let's just go on to the film. But yes, but uh, I perhaps have, have given it away there that I, 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 I had a, I, I enjoyed an awful lot about this movie, but I, 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 I struggle with things I can't talk about. So, so, John, <laughs> well, I can't yes. talk about them, just not here. What can we talk about? We can talk about uh, the action, which I think is very good. I think the um, the pre-title sequence is really exciting and quite yes. unusual. I think there's a lot of moments in yeah. this film that don't feel like a traditional Bond film. Uh, I think it starts with a sort of flashback that is not focused on Bond, and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, and then it leaps into some fantastic action, and there is so much really, really like intense fantastically well shot action it looks amazing it's continuing a tradition of the last few films of really gorgeous cinematography really good strong visual craft i think kerry fukunaga is a very sort of confident slick director he knows what he's doing um with this sort of scale um you know you have to watch like his true detective episodes where he does that incredible warner to know that he can really handle like a big set piece there's a really fun sequence in cuba where Anna de Armas shows up and she really, um, you know, makes quite an impression. I think Lashana Lynch does a really good job as well. And yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's a very long film, as I think a lot of people have mentioned. It's oh, it really nearly is. Hmm. pushing on three hours. I think it doesn't need to be either, does it? Like, no, it feels like there no. isn't enough in there to justify a runtime of that length. And it suffers from what I think a lot of the more recent Bond films have, which was incredibly convoluted plotting, which yeah. kind of feels like a lot of people feeding into the screenplay, where you just think, you just think, I, I'm a little bit lost because not because i'm not really just because it doesn't make a lot of 
sense. I think it gets quite knotty. But you'd mentioned the action. Like, there is some good action in here. I must admit, I felt uh, that this wasn't quite as spectacle-heavy as Bond's past. Like, I, I was, you know, I wanted him to bungee jump off a dam or something. Like, I was waiting for something that would I'd go, ooh, wow! And I, I thought there were some really inventive action sequences in this, like, and some really fun ones. Though... I must say, I think that they f- maybe fire off a little bit early in the film's runtime. I felt like they'd maybe exhausted their, some of their sort of big guns by the time we get to sort of the third act. Um, but it was fun. What I did think this was good, and you touched on this in your review, which I think is lovely. Like, there are a lot of um, references in this film to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and that, to me, is the kind of the Bond film that sh- this shares the most DNA with, I think, because mm. of all the films, On Her Majesty's Secret Service stands out, not just not just because it's George Lazenby, and this is like his one shot in the role, but also because it's the only time I think we ever see Bond, the human side of Bond, the emotional side of Bond, the yeah. tender side of Bond. Yeah. And I don't think we ever see that again. There are hints of it in Casino Royale, though I must admit I didn't buy it quite as much there. But here I think we see that again. And I think it's important that they do reference that, like Louis Armstrong features on the soundtrack of this one. But you feel like he taps into the human side of Bond for this, this final Craig performance. And I really liked that. Mm. But I understand why some people might not, because on one hand, it's great to sort of see that he actually does have layers and textures and he's not just this misogynistic dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, uh, or maybe it's that as well. But equally, sometimes it doesn't feel as much like a Bond film. Do you know what I mean? It feels a little less Bondy than Bond. But I quite like that. I, I quite like that they were willing to like stretch the formula. You know, it is such a well-worn formula at this stage. It's over 60 years or nearly it 60 is. years and 25 films it's kind of you could almost do it blindly and to to just tweak that to stretch the character in in that kind of way i think is really interesting and uh you know we we don't get to see that side of of bond very often and and daniel craig we have to shout out daniel craig's performance here because he's really interesting he does some mm. really interesting choices with with his performance uh, and he's mm. always been a really interesting bond to watch i think he's you know I quite agree. sort of yeah. reserved but also quite playful he's got he's got a lot of he brings a lot of dimensions to the character and i think that is i think this is probably his best performance mm. across five films I agree with you, actually. I think I think I like Craig's Bond a lot for the kind of realism he brings to it because he has that emotional baggage with him at all times. He always feels like he's been through the shit in a way that I think a lot of the other Bonds didn't. Uh, no, I, I I love it. But then it was much sort of made of kind of bonification of Bond when Casino Royale came out, and I think that just appeals to me on a sort of that's that's much more my type of thing. He's the only Bond to have an arc. He's the only Bond who's, you know, because yeah. all the Bonds before were loosely linked and obviously each Bond was meant to be the same Bond. And, mm. you know, so when Dalton mentions having been married and licensed to kill, he's referring to Diana Rigg from Honor Majesty's Secret Service and Moore visits her grave and for your eyes only. So there's, you know, there's lots of stuff going on, <laughs> but that that's 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 connected in some way but he's the only one and Dalton might have done this had he been afforded more than two movies but he's the only one who I think really and this is no disrespect to any of the previous Bonds Connery and Brosnan and Moore are all spectacular Lazenby also played the part uh, there is he, I think he's the only one to really approach it and I said this to Craig in the interview it's somewhat cack-handed manner but hey-ho and it, from an actorly standpoint uh, and to really try and break down the character and 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 look at cause and effect and look at growth and look at an arc, not just an arc in this movie, but an arc across all five films, which is really 
which is really interesting, uh, I guess. And there's an awful lot to get into that we that we can't get into mm. in, in this. Uh, but it's interesting that you brought up, um, I want to bring Beth in in a second, but it's interesting you brought up the, the bornification of the Bond franchise because that's where the Craig movies began. They began as a sort of call and response to the, yeah. the Bourne supremacy in particular. Casino Royale came out just before the Bourne Ultimatum, a year before the Bourne, Bourne Ultimatum. And obviously, the Bourne movies have ceased to be a thing, really. They've ceased to have that, that impact that they've had on pop culture has ceased to be a thing. But in this spy movie world, there is a big old elephant in the room right now, um, which I'm surprised this movie hasn't really responded to. Or maybe it has. Maybe the, you know, maybe the fact that this movie has moved away from spectacular stunts is a reaction to the Mission Impossible movies, you know, where you'd literally have Tom Cruise clinging to the side of a plane or climbing up the tallest building in the world or, you know, leaping off the moon or whatever it is he fancies doing that day. <laughs> and it feels that those movies have almost reinvented the or cornered the market in spy movie spectacle. And this movie seems to be moving away from that and going for more for the Totemo stuff. Um, and the Totemo stuff works if you buy into central areas, treading very soft, softly <laughs> of the, the the Craig arc overall, and if you don't, then I don't think it does. Beth, what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this. I agree with uh, John on a lot of points. Like the the opening for me was was spectacular. Um, just laid up a completely new set of emotional stakes. You could see the fingerprints of Phoebe Waller-Bridge in that instantly there's a <laughs> there's a line of dialogue involving a, a relic from another time which i <laughs> don't think i'll save for, for for something else but something that i certainly owned um which is very very sweet and set that off in a really interesting direction for me the runtime is inexcusable i think it was far <laughs> too long far too long i think if they just siphon away some of that exposition uh we would have had a five-star film for me rather than a four-star um you could see, as I say, you could see the, the fingerprints of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. There is a wonderful scene that is so intrinsically tied to her and um, with uh, Carrie Fukunaga, where I can't, I won't give anything away, but it is so much their scene in terms of aesthetic and character and comedy and even casting. There's a little- That's where Bond looks at the camera, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Flea Bond. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a little bit of casting there as well, and um, I've I, you know I was all bit you know that meme where it's um, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the at the screen and uh, <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah. I was like, oh, that's them. <laughs> and I would love to see that in an in an original capacity. I thought that was really fun. I love the female characters. I thought they were all incredibly robust and brought their own thing to this in really wonderful ways. Anna de Armes, <laughs> someone is performing in a in a Marilyn Monroe biopic and it shows in this film <laughs> in a big way. There's a lot of sort of, oh, oh, oh no. And I like that she's klutzy, but also incredibly capable as well. Like she can walk that line. And I thought that was great. I, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the emotional stakes. I think at the very least what it's doing I think you're right, um, Chris, the, in terms of kind of sacrificing spectacle a little bit. Maybe it's just doing that to get this emotional heavy lifting out of the way. And maybe moving forward in the franchise, that balance will be a little bit better. Mm. But for this, I, 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 I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed, I enjoyed coming out of this and feeling more connected to the character that I was seeing. Like That was important to me. I think when I 
So, you know, even at the time when when Danny Boyle was linked to the franchise and I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit, I think he's an incredibly confident and and unique director, but I I wanted it to go in another direction. And I think that this is what this this film did. I just think in terms of storytelling as well, we're now entering this interesting new era through, you know, TV, through film, through gaming even, where you're seeing, you know, leading men who have completely different stories you know it's not just enough now that they are uh, a kind of product of of something bigger than them um and mm. that uh yeah that was that was interesting to me i was i was very uh yeah very mm. up for it four stars then for no time to die really quickly uh there are a couple of films out on netflix as well that uh there's the aforementioned the starling by ted melfi uh, starring uh, melissa mccarthy and chris o'dowd and there's the guilty directed by Antoine Fuqua and starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Who wants to tell us about these real quick? Uh, I have not seen The Starling, but I can tell you about The Guilty, which is actually a remake of a Danish film from 2018, Den Skildiga, uh, directed by Gustav, Gustav Muller. Uh, in fact, <laughs> to say remake is maybe a different way of putting it. And I'm not saying that Nick Pizzolatto of True Detective fame ran the Den Skildiger screenplay through Google Translate. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, had he done that, this is basically the film we might have got. It's a very, very faithful adaptation, but this is Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, LAPD officer Joe Baylor, who is kind of on, not administratively, well, kind of, he's on receptionist leave. He's been involved in an incident, which we kind of find out about as the film goes on, and so he's answering 911 calls. During the course of that, he gets a call from someone called Emily, played by the voice of Riley Keough, uh, and she may or may not have been abducted, and he sets out to try and solve this. Now, this is a one-man show, more or less. There are a few people walking in and out of the room, but basically, it's him in the 911 room, on the phone, trying to sort this out. It's got the voices of people like Ethan Hawke and Peter Sarsgaard, but it's basically just Jake Gyllenhaal's very sweaty face for 90 <laughs> minutes. That is essentially this film. It is extremely <laughs> it is extremely stressful, as most Antoine Fuqua movies tend to be. But this kind of lives and dies on Gyllenhaal's performance. And I think he's fantastic. I shouldn't need to tell everyone knows Gyllenhaal's fantastic, but he's really good in this. And I think he carries this. It's not even 90 minutes, actually, 85, isn't it? Something like that. Anyway, yes! it's an hour and a half. Whatever it's it is. Around it's short. Yeah. It's relatively short. But I think it needs to be because there's only so much of him kind of sweating and shouting and throwing things that you can realistically sit through. And this does even at that tight runtime run out of a little bit. Then uh, Skildiger is streaming at the moment, but only on Virgin. So if you have that, maybe you want to watch the Danish version. But otherwise, The Guilty is on Netflix. And I don't know what we gave it. I'd probably give this three. I think this is a three-star film. But uh, but Gyllenhaal does give a, a very good turn. This film is guilty of <laughs> getting three stars, possibly, yes. from yeah. Empire. Beth, the starling, talk. Yes. Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, a married couple. They lose their daughter. Chrissy Dow's character Jack has to go to a like a sanctuary where he goes to kind of recuperate and he's suffering from depression. Melissa McCarthy gets really into gardening. She finds a starling. <laughs> she has a relationship with the starling. And through the relationship with the starling, she also gets to know a vet who also is her therapist, which is prayed by Kevin Klein. Uh, this is very schmaltzy. The creature design of the starling is very distracting and terrible. I kind of wish they'd done like the marionette in a net instead of this horrible CGI kind of creation through which they live out their grief and feelings. Very smochy, very sunny. Um, I'm not too sure about this branch of Melissa McCarthy's career where she kind of goes into sunnier territory when she's really just foul-mouthed and 
wonderfully kind of dark and comic a lot of the other time. Uh, Chris Haddad is very emotional and sweet. Um, this is a very complex role for him, but it's just too mawkish. Uh, underuses its supporting cast, which includes Timothy Oliphant and David Diggs, who I love from Hamilton and, and Blindspotting. Yes, feel good, weirdly, given the premise, but uh, just didn't quite do it for me. I would probably say three stars also. Yeah, three stars. Although it's been getting a bit of a kicking, but it's on it's on Netflix as well as The Guilty. So if you want to make up your, your mind, um, then you can certainly watch those two over the weekend. If, of course, you're not going to the cinema to watch No Time to Die. But on that note, uh, that is it for this hastily convened No Time to Die review session of the podcast. Uh, and that is it indeed for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... No idea. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Absolutely no idea. I've been kind of sick this week, so I haven't really been on top of things when uh, securing guests, so... You can interview me, Chris. Ah, if it comes to that, then I think this has to be the last episode of the Empire Podcast. Uh, there's, yeah, g- going out on an all-time low. Never mind an all-time high. That's a <laughs> Bond reference. Oh dear. Thank you. Keep peeled for who might be on next week's show. It should be fun. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Oh, we can have a quick three-fact structure. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> no. Here's a fact: the podcast is finished. <laughs> James wins this week's three fact structure. Well done, James. Uh, it is goodbye for my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Squadcast names. He's attempting re entry. Tuck sake. It's John Nugent. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye, John Nugent. Thank you for swinging by. It is goodbye from, from Swindon with Love, Beth Webb. Thank you. Goodbye. It's, uh, it's goodbye from. For England, James. No, Chris. For me. <laughs> James Dyer. Buy me a pint. <laughs> For England, Alex. Anyway, uh, Alex is Alex. Anyway, yes, James Dyer. Bye, James. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Yesterday I was no time for Lurgy. Now I am. Do you expect me to review Bond? No, Mr. Hewitt. I expect you to die. <laughs> Please. I've, I've really I've felt very close to it this week, uh, but I'm I'm out the other side now. Anyway, that's enough for me. I'm off to Ponty Pandy to have a delicious <laughs> slice of Bella Lasagna. With Norman Price. <laughs> Norman Price. <laughs> Bella Lasagna. <laughs> and every day so we go to the loop and watch the place to watch No Time to Die. <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.